0: Tyler, I I know the answer to this, but for the rest of the podcast listeners, what have you been obsessed with, not just this week, but the last three weeks?
1: Well, I think unsurprisingly, there's been a a bunch of legal, I don't know, shenanigans. Is that the right word? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's been lots of legal activity about this one particular medication that I thought uh, it would be really helpful if we kind of talked through a little bit. And so the drug is... You ready for it?
0: Yeah. Should we say it at the same time? Oh, no, you say it and I'll say if I think that that's the right way to say it.
1: Okay. One, two, three. Cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait. No, it's Mifepristone. Oh, Mifepristone. (laughs) Okay, that's right. Um, Mifepristone. Right. So Mifepristone is this medication that is the heart of a bunch of legal activity and political maneuvering and man it just really is a it's, it's all over the news right now
0: that's right so i think maybe we should just start off with like what we know about mifepristone as a drug mm-hmm. um, right so it's it's being called an abortion drug we know it's about 50 percent of abortions are medical abortions used this drug in combination with another drug but we also know that it is used for a few other things, some off-label things. It's also used for miscarriage. Um, so it's not as if it's only used for um, medication abortion, but that is seemingly the biggest use of this drug. And so it's being targeted, given our sort of post-Dobbs world, as another access to abortion that some states would like to restrict. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's 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 right. Usually, when we think about abortions, I think that most people in their mind think of surgical abortions, which you know there's a, a, a large number of abortions. Uh, and when we're talking about abortions, I think it's important to highlight that we're talking about both wanted and unwanted um, terminations of pregnancy, right? So some people very genuinely do not uh, they they want a child, the pregnancy is intended, and and they they want to have the baby, but for whatever reason, um, sometimes it's medical. Um, that they decide to not go forward with the with the pregnancy and sometimes that requires a surgical intervention and sometimes the pregnancy is not far enough is far is early enough that medications can do the same function right so there's two drugs that are used in tandem one like you said is mifeprestone and the other one is called misoprostol and again, like we're not real doctors, so the, <laughs> the, the pronunciation of these is probably a little bit different, but, um, so yes, mifepristone is used to actually, it inhibits or interacts with the, the hormones of the woman. And mm-hmm. if that gets interrupted, then the next drug is used to contract the, the, the uterus and actually expel the uterine contents, right? So it's kind of a two-step process and mifepristone is being targeted as the kind of the first step in that uh in that two-step process and after dobbs which for those of you who aren't um you know keeping up on the supreme court uh rulings recently dobbs is the case that overturned the protections in roe 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 versus wade so uh roe allowed a a a nationwide access to abortion and it didn't specify surgical or medical abortions and then so that was 1972 ish and then what was it almost two years ago that dobbs was overturned it was it just last year oh man i can't even remember
0: (laughs) hey you're the legal expert tyler you're supposed (laughs) to know these things i know
1: it's 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 been a it's been a year but Uh, So Dobbs is the name of the case that went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said this right to abortions underneath the the privacy uh, protections of the Constitution uh, doesn't make sense anymore or never did make sense, actually. And therefore, states should have the power to regulate how and if and when and in what manner abortions can take place in their states then as predicted all of the states then create their own rules about whether or not abortions are available and then also how abortions and when abortions can take place so that's kind of big picture where the legal landscape is states that have um the goal i would say the interest in reducing the number or the type of abortions that performed in their state have taken a couple of different approaches to how to limit the number of abortions and that, that's how we get laws about uh, certain timing of when abortions can or can't take place. So six weeks, 10 weeks, 14 weeks, 22 weeks, sometimes there's cutoffs. And then there's also uh, reasons for the abortion. And so this is something that gets brought up all the time. Is there, if abortions are prohibited within the state, are there exceptions? Um, whether it's a medical exception or whether it's um, because the the pregnancy, was the result of a, um, a rape or incest or something like that. Um, the health of the mother is at risk. So, so there's all these different exceptions that may or may not be created within the states to actually either limit or put some sort of rules on abortions. Mm-hmm.
0: Good, that's like a really good overview. I'm glad that you are our legal expert <laughs> if you're not our timeline expert. <laughs> um, okay. So something really big then happened. It's been about three weeks now in the glorious state of Texas. Um, A judge made a pretty controversial ruling. Um, Texas already has now three laws um, about abortion that have restricted abortion. But this was, I think, in some ways unexpected what he said about Mifepristone. So can you walk us through kind of what the judge in Texas said initially?
1: Yeah. So... I think before we get to what he exactly said, I think it's important to highlight the ways in which laws get created in our country. So the if you'll remember the uh, how does a bill become a law, um, the <laughs> school of rock video. Uh, uh-huh. So the one way that laws get created, and this is true for states, it's true for the federal government. Um, So a legislator, someone in the legislative branch can propose a bill, it gets debated and then either gets written into law, signed into law or not. You know, there's a lot more that goes into it. Another way in which laws or public policy gets uh, enacted in the United States is through the judicial branch. So a judge can say this is the law or this is the way the law is going to be interpreted or this is the way it's going to be applied. And um, for public policy or changes in kind of social policy that are really problematic to get through the legislative branch. So say that there aren't enough votes or whatever in the the legislature to actually change uh, laws that may actually be really harmful. Sometimes the best way to change those laws is to go through the judicial branch. And so a good example of this is Brown versus the Board of Education. That's a classic case where the the state laws and about uh, this notion of separate but equal education in the United States, it was going to be really hard to get that change through the legislative branch. So actually a change in the statute, but instead they um, went through the judicial process and had that law or that portion of that law declared to be unconstitutional. And so people who are interested in equality and interested in um, equal access to education and stuff like that went through that process Through the judicial. It's, uh, activist lit- litigation is, is one of the terms that's used to describe it. They are able to change the laws. And so that's what's happening. That's what happened here is that instead of going through the, the legislative process, they went through the judicial review and a group of people, um organized themselves uh, in a jurisdiction in Texas that they thought, and again, we're kind of um, I think we're kind of armchair quarterbacking this a little bit, trying to read into them into their intentions a little bit from just what's publicly available information. But regardless of what their true intentions were, they deliberately they intentionally organized themselves within a jurisdiction that had, what was known to be publicly known to be a very conservative, a judge who had a very conservative interpretation of abortion and abortion rights and abortion access, and filed a lawsuit claiming that Mifepristone was actually should not actually be legally permissible to distribute or to use or to order or prescribe within the United States.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say this national group of physicians incorporated in a part of texas that only has one judge that they knew they would draw for this case so it doesn't you know maybe it's just conjecture but why would they have chosen amarillo as the place to incorporate it's pretty transparent what their objective was because we talk about this sometimes with like oh it's so hard to know people's intentions when you talk about in medicine like well, double effect, who knows what somebody's intention is? And my response is always, nope, you know by their actions, mm. right? You can kind of, you often can tell people's intentions by the thing that they do, right? Maybe it's a little bit of mind reading, but if that wasn't their intention, it's quite the coincidence.
1: Yes. All right. I think that's fair. Maybe I was trying to be too... <laughs> You're trying
0: <laughs> too, to do too politic. Too,
1: <laughs> being too uh, magnanimous with my interpretations, but I... I I think that that's probably, I think that's true. So this group filed this lawsuit in court in the court where they knew that the judge was going to, at least their suspicion was that he he had this particular view because he had published about it. He'd written about it. He was very open about um, not just the, the issue of abortion, but also other, other kind of social policy type of issues. So uh, they filed this lawsuit claiming that Mifepristone was uh, and when you file a lawsuit you know this that that you can file multiple claims at the same time right it's not just a this is my claim decide this mr judge it is here's a whole list of claims that i'm making all at the same time and you can kind of rule on each one of those as it uh as you want and so this this judge was presented with the case that their mifepristone specifically was uh unsafe and it was ineffective in doing its job and and that is exactly what medications are intended to do and, and that's what the fda process of approval is intended to decide is it safe and is it effective
0: mm-hmm. it, it's and, a pretty bold claim right that that these doctors are gonna you know they're they authorities on medicine and so they might have evidence that this is unsafe but really the the it's the job of the FDA to decide if something is safe and effective. And they, this has been FDA approved, what, so 23 years, it was approved in 2000. So it's a pretty bold claim, right? To say, I don't know, maybe the FDA didn't do its job or there's been more recent evidence that the FDA is not looking at that we have that this huge group of scientists uh, has been ignoring.
1: Yeah, it, that's right. That, that is literally the FDA's job is to look at the, look at the science um, look at the studies that are presented and to make a determination on efficacy and safety. And yes, tw- in twenty in 2000, year 2000, so it's been 23 years, 22 and a half years since this was approved. Um, it's really hard. If you take away the political aspect of it, it's really hard to wrap your mind around why now for this case, and there haven't been new studies. There haven't been. Uh, there's not new science uh, that undermines this um, this this drug. So, so that that's what their claim was. Number one, it's ineffective. It shouldn't have been approved. Uh, be, well, because it's ineffective, because it's unsafe. And there's also a third claim, which we'll talk about in just a minute, which has to do with an old law from the Civil War era that. Um, Always good to bring
0: up. Yep. Yep. (laughs) The Civil War was a great time for making laws. And so it seems super relevant to today. So I'm anxious to hear about that.
1: (laughs) You know, it's surprising how often that's coming up, isn't it? That these current laws are being under, uh, you know, removed from the books. And then all of a sudden we've got a law from 1873 that we're trying to apply to current times. So, all right. So (laughs) the judge ruled in Texas, uh, ruled that well he basically he he bought their the argument of these physicians and whether or not he actually there was actually standing which means that um, in the United States legal system in order to file a claim you have to have been the one that was harmed so if you are in a car accident I can't sue somebody on your behalf because I'm really upset that you were harmed in this car accident right I have to be the one who is harmed and that's called standing so I have to have standing in front of the before the court in order to file a lawsuit. And the standing claim that these in, that this group made is a little, I don't know, squishy? Is that is that the right word?
0: I, I think so. When I heard it, I was surprised that they could have standing because mm. what they claimed was, as far as I understand it, that there are women who come in um, after using Mifephistone because they're concerned about excess bleeding. Um, and I think that that's fair. Right. Uh, any sort of miscarriage or abortion um, can have a lot of a lot of bleeding and it understandably freaks people out um, or they could have some sort of complication. Well, they're claiming lots of complications from this drug, which are pretty suspect, but they're afraid that a woman would come to them with this urgent need and that they would have to treat her because M. Tala says that we have to treat people in a medical crisis. We can't turn them away. But And not only would this be unfair to these physicians who think that abortion is wrong, so it would be sort of a, you know, they'd be treating somebody against their conscience, but also that would take up time and energy they could have spent with other patients that needed their care. So it is distracting from the job they want to do um, because women would hypothetically come to them with this need.
1: Right. That's how I understand it as well. And that, I mean... I'm not their lawyer. I'm not anybody's lawyer. But gosh, that's a that's a we'll say creative um, claim for standing. But Mm -hmm. judge bought it, and that's and you know the a a good legal argument is validated when a judge says, "Okay, I'll buy it." So he granted standing. (laughs) Whether or not that holds up is a different story. But so they're standing, and then the judge uh, ruled that basically you know he 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 bought all of their arguments and wrote a, a really long opinion and it says that number one it is unsafe and number two it's uh, either not effective or not as effective as other um, interventions and so then it, we get to the the third claim that they made which is that if it's not safe and effective and also because it it deals with abortion specifically. There's an 1873 law called the Comstock Law, which prohibits the US mail system from distributing quote indecent or um, other material that is uh, against you know public policy or against, uh, basically you can't send, you can't use the US mail system to distribute things that um, should not be distributed. Uh, obscenity, uh, obscene material, um, indecent material. The words lewd and lascivious are used, which are two of my favorite words. Great Um, words, great words. Yeah. Um, So then the judge said, because of the Comstock law prohibits prohibits the distribution of this stuff, then uh, it it has to, what follows from that is a a nationwide ban on distribution of this medication, which puts Mm -hmm all types of non-surgical abortions at risk. Because this is the drug, this two-step drug process is the, the, the standard of care. It's the safest, most effective way to accomplish the medical goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so a combination of really interesting rulings. Um, but he says uh, in his wisdom, and this makes sense, this won't go into effect immediately. Um, let's wait to see if this gets appealed up the line to the, mm-hmm. the Fifth Circuit. So yeah. let's give it seven days to see if there's an appeal process that needs to go through recognizing that this would probably be a controversial ruling.
1: Yeah. So I, I think the smartest thing that he or like the the most correct, accurate thing that he said in his opinion was this may be controversial and, and up for appeal. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, the same day, there was a similar case, different, a little bit different legal argument uh, in a different jurisdiction in the United States up in Washington that came to a different conclusion. And so you have these two courts in two different parts of the country make making or issuing rulings that are seem to be at odds with each other. So there's a conflict between them. And when that's the case in the federal judicial system, that is almost an immediate... Um, appeal to the United States Supreme Court to figure out the the, the circuit split or the, the difference within this federal's because we, we can't have inconsistent laws in the federal system, right? That's the, the that's the the reason for the review.
0: Mm-hmm. so yeah, and it's Tyler. I wonder if it's worth mentioning, and maybe you'll get to this, but um, we'll post a bunch of links on the website. But is there any? good scientific evidence to say that mifepristone really is unsafe. The ineffective claim is odd, Um, it only makes sense if you say that surgical abortions are more effective and more safe. I think that that's the effective sort of side of it, but the unsafe is really what got a lot of attention because I I looked up all the studies. There's been a meta-analysis of a lot of these studies of thousands of patients. And really, it seems very safe, which isn't to say that there are never adverse effects. There's never sort of risk. Every medication has risk, of course. But there's been a lot of claims in the media and by groups that um, have supported the initial ruling that this really is unsafe. So, what do we know about safety?
1: I I've been reading the same stuff that you've been reading. It's I I, I don't I don't see it. <laughs> I don't, but I again, like there there are other smart people involved that are making this claim but i there are definitely more risky drugs more dangerous drugs on the uh, on the market that are used routinely and if 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 that's the case then it's really hard to draw the conclusion that this is anything other than an over attempt to limit abortions for for other reasons
0: it, it's hard not to draw that conclusion. So we'll put the studies up on the site, but I looked, I mean, there are a couple studies that showed some um, some level of risk, and it's it's just of the thousands of people. I mean, this is it's such a low percentage. It's such a safe drug. i I don't see the evidence for it. So we'll put those up and let people decide for themselves. But I've looked at the studies. I can't make sense of this claim unless you think that anyone getting hurt from a drug ever, should make the drug un- like uh, unavailable to anybody. W- in which case, we'd have to withdraw almost every drug on the market. It just can't be the way we go about doing this because there's always some mm-hmm. level of risk in any medication that you'll ever take.
1: Yeah, read the and back of your
0: Tylenol bottle. There's yeah, a lot of risk.
1: <laughs> exactly, and and that's setting aside the whole issue of whether or not abortions should be permissible or not. And right. And it, you, we, we can have very different opinions about whether abortions are morally or ethically permissible and, and under what circumstances they might be. But what concerns me about this case and the way that this is progressing is that it's giving a federal judge, an unelected federal judge, the power to undermine the entire FDA process. And the process, I mean, medications in the United States, pharmaceuticals are expensive because and we always we hear this all the time that because of the research and development is so expensive right and the research and development is expensive because of all of the studies and all of the steps and all of the hoops that have to be jumped through in order to get fda approval to market and to sell it and to actually make money off of it so it has to be proven to be safe and effective and go through all this process and this judge you know with a stroke of his pen has undermined that whole process in a way that's never been hap- never happened before. This has never been the case in the United States that a federal judge has unilaterally or you know on his own authority said that a specific drug uh, ought not to have been approved and and should be with, removed from the market
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, mean, I think there's lots of good debate to happen about the ethics of abortion, but that this particular drug is unsafe. Doesn't seem to be to be the strongest claim. Um, if you are somebody who's you know taking a pro life position that it shouldn't be available, in which case maybe resorting to the Comstock Act makes more sense.
1: Yeah, so I, you know that that that's what that's what's going on with those two rulings, and then the Supreme Court it gets fast tracked to the Supreme Court um, where because of the the previous administration had the the power of appointing three judges to the supreme court there is a um, a conservative bias and bias or leaning towards the supreme court in the supreme court right now and so they have the opportunity to make this ruling it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the supreme court and so what what happened uh, a week or two ago is that the supreme court judge uh, justice alito is the one who's kind of been the spokesperson from the supreme court side about what um about this case initially said you know we'll have a ruling by the i can't remember 17th or 18th of april that time came and then he's uh uh, reissued or or extended the stay and stay is just a fancy legal term for a pause on the impact of a decision to be um to be put into effect or to be activated
0: Mm -hmm. right so what should we be looking for so it makes sense so they're gonna um, the who knows what's going to happen, right? but didn't didn't say it needs to be pulled off the market right now. Um, so good news for some people, bad news for other people, but will rule presumably on whether there is sufficient evidence to say that this is a not safe drug and might rule on these other issues that we didn't get so much into about whether it can be mailed, um, whether the drug. so a few years back, um, was it 2018? The FDA extended some of the use of this drug to a little bit further into pregnancy um, and and said it could be mailed and that will become presumably an issue as well. So this increased access over the last few years might become restricted again, might be pulled off the market altogether. Uh, I hear states are hoarding the medication. So uh, worried that the Supreme Court will say no, have been stockpiling the medication. There might even be worries that the manufacturer will stop making so much because they, if they anticipate that it'll not be approved anymore, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what else should we be worried about?
1: Yeah, those are the big issues. Um, So think about uh, a pharmacy or uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing, like the pipeline, right? There is... This has caused disruption throughout that process. So th- there are the are pharmacies in hospitals and in communities that have this medication on its shelves right now. It's not used very commonly. I mean, it's not like, you know, not like antibiotics that are con- constantly being prescribed and administered and used up. Um, so it's imagine a pharmacy at a small local hospital in Texas that has this medication then all of a sudden this judge says thou shalt not administer this medication. Like, do they go into their, and pull it off their shelves? I mean, if it's already, if there's already a prescription for it, do they, do do they cancel that prescription and and how do they order more and, and when? And it just is hugely disruptive to the, to the whole process of the FDA approval and provision of these medications. And, um, So I think that's going to be something that the Supreme Court has to deal with is what do we do if they decide that it it should be taken off, which is going to disrupt all kinds of things in the FDA approval process. And and I'm not an FDA lawyer, and we don't spend a lot of time talking about the FDA approval process, and there are people way smarter and way more involved in that process. But um, one of the things that is most important about our legal system is the predictability of it and the regulatory system like we have to be able to predict how things are going to progress in order to make plans and develop new drugs and stuff stuff like stuff like that and and this undermines that in a really i think harmful way if the fda approval process needed to be redone that's fine let's have that conversation but going through it through the judicial process i I think is something that the supreme court needs to figure out and need to needs to rule on so that one and then the that's the availability issue and then access states administering or stockpiling or hoarding this medication in ways that um you know may impact the availability of it in other states or what happens when somebody's state says you can't administer this if that's if that's the outcome of this is it okay for them to cross state lines to go to a different state that has it um if the comstock ruling stands up then you can't mail it um so what if you transport it on your person like i mean there's just a whole bunch of other issues that come out of this but and which is interesting from a from a lawyer's perspective because of the the process and how it messes up the is impacting the process but you know, that's setting aside the whole ginormous issue of should abortions be available at all, um, which I think most people are focusing on and not focusing on the the, the implications of what this type of ruling really would
0: have. Right. We're here to bring you uh, the B side of uh, that's <laughs> other right. horrifying things this might, uh, yeah. might endeavor in the future. So we'll uh-huh. just have to see and, and hopefully we'll have an update Later next month, when we know more, but this is kind of what we know so far, and not apocalyptic at all. Tyler's just saying that maybe the (laughs) FDA won't exist in the future, uh, but it'll just be up to judges to say whether things are safer. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can you imagine that? (laughs) (laughs) If the process was you have to convince one judge that your your medication is safe and effective, and they have the ability to say yes or no whether you can. Oh my gosh. What a craziness. Okay. So, that's what I'm obsessed with, mifepristone and the mostly, I mean, abortion is an interesting topic. It's something that I think is endlessly debated, endlessly discussed not only in in the public but also in in bioethics worlds. But all of the legal maneuvering and implications, I think is that's what I've been obsessed with this week.
0: Good. Well, thanks for the primer on how to understand the legal system, Tyler. I bet that's, well, it was helpful for me to hear. I'm sure it's helpful for lots of our listeners.